This is the Ed Milet Show. Hey guys, before we get into today's show, I just want to say something, and that is that, you know, I created this program out of my heart to want to serve you and help you max out your life. And so every week I bring you somebody who's got a key and an insight in some area of life that you can improve in, including the shows that I do that are just me talking. And so over the next couple weeks, I'm going to shoot a two-part series that you're going to watch the first one of today that involves what's going on in the world, the election in the United States. And so this week I'm going to air the perspective of the conservative and Republican side. And next week you'll see somebody very prominent, very close to the campaigns on the Democrat side as well. I do myself no favors when I do this. About a year ago, I had Barack Obama's economic advisor on, and the next week, I had Trump's. And so I hope that you'll listen with an open mind. I'm not a gotcha show where I'm trying to beat up my guests. I try to treat them respectfully, everybody that comes on my show. At the same time, I hope I ask insightful and hard questions as well. And so just remember, as you watch today, this is the Republican conservative point of view. Next week, you're going to be listening to the Democrat and more liberal point of or progressive point of view. So I hope you enjoy today's show. Listen with an open mind. And I hope you know my intention in doing this. God bless you. All right. Welcome back to Max Out, everybody. Really excited to have a conversation with this man today. Doesn't need any introduction. Every single one of you knows who Donald Trump Jr. is. And um, we're going to talk about the new book that he has out, but obviously we're going to try to get as many insights as we can into his father, the campaign, his thoughts surrounding that, the direction of the country as we possibly can. So, Don, thank you for being on Max Out today. Appreciate it. Thanks, Ed. Good to be with you. Yeah, good to be with you, too. And new book, Liberal Privilege. We're going to talk about that in a minute. That's certainly, certainly a telling title. I think I know where we're going there. Um, <laughs> well, I don't, I don't, I, I'm not really closeted in where I stand on some of <laughs> these think, things at this yeah, point. You know, I'm sort of I, out there in the open. I, I think everybody knows where you stand, certainly. And, uh, but I thought I'd start out by asking. I told you a little bit about the audience. I started this show to help people max out their life. Yeah. And so every week I'm trying to give them a key, a tip on some topic in doing that. And I also believe the mental side is just as important as the environmental side. Yeah. And so our country is an environment. Correct. So from your perspective, why would four more years with your dad being in office create a better environment for the majority of Americans to max out their life than if we give the country over to Biden and Kamala Harris? Well, listen, there's a couple approaches to that. Obviously, there's one that's sort of the economic argument, right? I mean, all of the things that Donald Trump did is certainly prior to COVID, but honestly, even now, I mean, look at your 401k to now. It's, it's as though we're not in a global pandemic. Uh, you know, I don't think anyone can blame the pandemic on Donald Trump. They can, you know, the media will try, but the reality is it came from China. They lied to the world about it. They let it spread. They shut down travel from, you know, Wuhan to Beijing and to Shanghai, but not to Milan, New York, and Los Angeles, right? So, uh, you know, I don't think you can fault him for that, but the reality is this, you know, Donald Trump was a business guy, right? That's what he did his whole life. And he stepped into where all these sort of professors, right? People who talk about things in theory rather than actually having done them in practice, and he was able to turn things around. I mean, there was not an economic metric, not a single one, Ed, where we were not better off than under the Obama-Biden administration. So when I hear, you know, Joe Biden's gonna talk about building the economy, I go, well, we had the lowest unemployment numbers in the history of America. We had the highest new business startup numbers in the history of America. And that's not just for, you know, the old angry white guy, like the media would love to have us believe. That was for women, 
That was for African-Americans. That was for Hispanics. Uh, every demographic benefited. For the first time in modern history, we sort of achieved, you know, the holy grail of, you know, American politics, which was being able to get wage increases for the lowest income earners. You know, their wages were going up for the first time in modern history. And it's because you had a guy that had actually done these things in the past, right? A guy who's run businesses, understood efficiency. So he was able to cut excessive regulations, get rid of the red tape, speed some of those things up. You know, I'd say this, like for your viewers who are unsure economically, I don't know, Joe Biden was there for 50 years. A half a century is a long time to warm up. Okay, I mean, talking about maxing out, I mean, you know, I'll, I'll do some bench, okay, a couple of sets, you know, crank out, you know, you know, 15, 20, 135s, throw on the 185s, go up to 225. You know, I, I'm maxing out in 10 or 15 minutes. Joe Biden's had half a century and he hasn't maxed out yet. I think even people that aren't supporting your dad would probably give you the economic argument. Yeah. So I want to ask you a tough question. Um, and I don't, I have this feeling that this election is probably not going to be as much about Joe Biden as it's going to be about your dad. I think that's fair. And so I want to ask you, this is the question I've been really dying to ask you because I think only maybe you could give this insight. And that is the business side of your dad, whether people voted for him or not. And I know even people that are on the fence that went the other way yeah. were optimistic and excited about the fact that a successful, very successful businessman was now going to run this country back in business. And he did that. And the numbers are the numbers, are the numbers as you quoted them earlier. Yeah. But here's the deal. And I, and I want this insight from someone who's in the family. But the country isn't just a business. The country is also a family. Mm -hmm. and, and I understand context. I understand getting aggressive because the media has pushed some very yeah. crazy narratives. But I think you would agree with me. And I'd like you to think, uh, give this answer you know, as honestly as you possibly can. I think it's great that it's been run like a business, but in terms of a family, in a family, most people are supposed to feel loved, welcomed, that they belong, that they're accepted, even the different people in our family, right? Mm -hmm. And I think you would acknowledge that there are a lot of people that don't feel loved and acknowledged and accepted in this country prior to your dad, but especially during these times. Do you think there's anything your dad could do differently between today and the election, or if he is reelected, to make this more like a family and feel less like a business? Well, yeah, listen, I, I think there's a couple parts. The answer is yes. Uh, I mean, I think he's doing that. I mean, he literally went to Wisconsin today. Don't forget, he offered help and he's offered help for months. He hasn't been a dictator. He hasn't forced that help on there. He's acknowledging states have rights. Uh, you know, it, it's sort of interesting. I, you know, I watch what's going on. The DNC, for example, last week, you know, you had this sort of I hate America Zoom call that lasted for four days. Not one person at the DNC mentioned the riots, the looting, the vandalism. It's truly it's the first time in America where you can get in trouble. You go to jail, you get arrested, you get fined, you lose your business license for opening up your business. You've seen that across the country. I mean, people getting fined, people getting ticketed, people losing their business for opening up their business to put food on their table but no one gets in trouble for looting someone else's business. There's tacit acceptance from the other side. You know, you, you've, you've seen this, right? I mean, this isn't just you know, imaginary. Now they say, oh, the riot, look, it's on Trump's watch. Well, what about Ferguson? 
What about Orlando? This has been going on for a long time. But again, there's a different response from the media if it's on Trump's watch than if it was on Obama's watch, because Obama could do no wrong. And they, the media took an eight year holiday during those period of time. So that same strife still existed. But like the, this notion of you know, America's, you know, the worst oppressive regime in the world, it's asinine. You know, when you see the media basically screaming fire in a crowded theater, like the shooting in Wisconsin, right? They show a clip. It's two seconds of a cop shooting someone in the back, 100%. But what they don't talk about is what led up to that. You know, they don't talk about, you know, a guy that's, you know, convicted sex offender, wanted for a warrant. His girlfriend called the police because he was attacking her. They're tussling outside the car for minutes. Then he runs around after being tased and stopped and this, and he's reaching into a blind spot in a car. I mean, that's a different context. You see that all of that context and, and all of a sudden you say, okay, like maybe we got to figure out and get to the bottom of this before we start rioting. But the media won't do that. They want to gaslight one side of an argument to push that. No There's different no than- question, Don, there's no question that that's true. I, I, I would concede to you that the media does that. But this, just to give context to it, this is the stuff I think that, man, if we could get to where we would yeah. tell people we hear them. So I hear what you're saying, but you have to acknowledge, regardless of what the media said, an unarmed guy got shot seven times in the back. Well, Wait a second. Stay with me. I'll let you respond. Yep. I will. And the image later, he's a black man, the image later, of a white boy who's just killed two people walking down with his weapon and the police walking by him and not doing those things to him looks incredibly unfair, is unfair. And why would we not say, hey, the guy's background, regardless of that, this isn't right. By the way, I saw your dad last night and he started to say that doesn't look right to me, but then the statement wasn't finished. I mean, honestly, do you, would you not acknowledge well, listen, I think there's a lot of context that's, that's missing. And, you know, the, the media immediately went to Lynch, you know, Kyle Rittenhouse. That he could, now you look at that video and he's running from them, he's avoiding them, he's doing this. And then, you know, he's approached by people with guns. He's hit on the, you know, kicked on the street with a skateboard. You know, he, to me, Again, with the full context, that looked much more like self-defense. Uh, you know, I, I will say, you know, they did say uh, the other gentleman up in Wisconsin had did have a knife in the car, so he wasn't unarmed. But I, I get your point. You know, my father went up to Wisconsin to deal with these issues. Joe Biden's still in his basement. He said, "Well, in ten days, I may leave the basement because he's probably not capable of getting out of there." You know. I, I get it. You think it's easy for my father with all of that to go up into those areas? No. But just like he spent all weekend down in Louisiana to deal with the hurricane mess. I mean, he does have that empathy. He does understand that these problems exist. That's a problem. So they're trying to make it. Well, Trump's personality, he's aggressive. He's sort of a bull in a china shop. I get that. I'll, and by the way, I'll give you that. You know, people have asked me my, for the last few years, have you ever like thought about telling him maybe not to tweet that? Like, no. No, I've never thought of, not even <laughs> once, not even, that's on the record. I have not even once thought about it. <laughs> of course, but it's also why he's effective. Meaning, you know, I saw, you know, the DNC, you know, Joe Biden is so empathetic. And, you know, that's a nice quality, but I don't know if that's the quality I only want. That can't be the only quality in the commander in chief who has to make tough decisions, who has to make real decisions. Liberal privilege is about all of those things. It's about, you know, listen, let's talk about the other side of it, not just the economic side, but Joe Biden's health and mental well-being, right? Mm -hmm. you, you see it. 
Do you on think a daily basis. Don, do you think that Joe is in cognitive decline? I think without question. I, in the book, I actually interview one of the White House doctors, a, a former Navy admiral who was a White House doctor who watched it and is like, as a citizen, I can't allow, like, I can't not say something. And again, what no one knows watching this, Joe Biden's had two separate brain aneurysms, mm. two separate that required surgery. So that's a big deal. Ask a doctor what one brain aneurysm that requires surgery will likely do to someone's cognitive abilities, right? It, it's the chance of being normal are almost zero. You have two of those and it's probably less than zero. You combine that with, again, daily, you saw yesterday, he's in Pennsylvania uh, and, and uh, 100 year, I, I don't know the thing. Yeah. Right? How many times have we seen that? Hundreds? Every time he forgets what state he's in 50% of the time. But again, one thing you could say, oh, it's Joe Biden. He's being, you know, he has gaffes and he's being forgetful. But the other is, well, if it was Donald Trump that had those brain aneurysms, those explosions in his brain, they'd say, oh, there's a cause and effect. Those brain aneurysms are why he can't remember where he is. It's why he can't remember his wife from his sister. It's why he needs notes to answer basic softball questions. You see him panicking, going back and forth from the screen to, to some notes. You know, guys, we've been talking a lot about the economy and jobs and hiring, and it looks like companies are looking more and more to hire people back on board again. And, you know, one of the things I think everybody should be looking for when they hire is resilience. And the definition of resilience is the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties. I just believe it should be in every job description, not just hard work and, you know, uh, experience and things like that, but how resilient are you? And so it really should be in every description. So whether you're ready to make your next important hire or need some hiring tips, Indeed is here to help you. I don't know if you're familiar with them or not, but Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people and they get them to you fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. So you only pay for what you need. You can pause the account at any time after you've done the hiring you need or are no longer looking. And there aren't any long-term contracts, which is cool. That way you're not committed forever. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown by three and a half times more likely to result in a hire for people. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the very important hire that you need, just like they have for over 3 million other businesses. That is a ton. So right now, Indeed is offering my listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it really fast. Try Indeed.com with free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash MyLet, which is M-Y-L-E-T-T. This is their best offer anywhere, everybody. So go right now, Indeed.com forward slash MyLet. Terms and conditions apply. The offer is valid through September 30. I would just say to you, and I'll put a bow on it, that that... I, by the way, I agree with what you just said. What I disagree with is the notion that, by the way, this boy that was attacked um, carried a weapon into a crowded place at 17 years old. And a lot of people would argue, and I, I don't even think it's arguable, that if a black 17-year-old boy walked into a crowd with an automatic weapon or some type of a weapon like that, even before the violence ensued, that the response would be different. And I think it's things like that, that when we are a family, Yep. That we need to be able to say, I hear you, I see you, that's wrong, like you did with George Floyd, um, but in, any, in these instances. Because let's, let's talk a minute about the black vote for a second. It's an interesting thing. Data is saying now that your dad will actually possibly get 
um, maybe even twice as much of the black vote as he did the first time against Hillary. He's, he's trending well. And, and um, policy-wise, policy-wise from, you know, fully funding black universities, um, criminal justice reform, yeah. um, uh, opportunity zones, which I've invested in as well. When yeah. people learn about these things, those are things that help a, a people of color and poor people. Having said that, it's still, the data is still that eight or nine out of 10 will possibly not vote for him. And I'm wondering why you think that is. Do you believe that that's media driven? Or do you believe that instances like this, a different type of response that says, we love you, we hear you, and we also love cops, and we want to fund the police because we want to protect your neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. We want you safer. You're our brothers and sisters as well. Might get more people to begin to listen to the some yeah. of the really good policies that have been put in place. Well, as I, I think there's some people, and you know, we're all probably guilty of, of some of this that just don't want to hear anything, right? I mean, I think there's some people that are, you know, I see it a lot. I saw it a lot in sort of uh, in, in the Rust Belt, where it's like, well, you know, I'm a union Democrat and I voted Democrat for, you know, seven generations and my grandfather would roll over in his grave if I was voting for a Republican. I go, well, okay, look at the party platform. Like, what would your grandfather say about today's Democrat party platform? Because John F. Kennedy would be alt-right today. He wouldn't be a Democrat. He, you know, he'd be thrown out of the party. So it's, it sometimes takes that for people to realize that. Obviously, you know, the Democrats' stronghold in the inner cities and all these things, some of the messaging about what's actually been accomplished by this administration will never filter down into those communities. So you know, at best, you're hoping to get to you know, a portion of them who have an open mind, who can look at the policies. Because again, you know, it's not like Joe Biden couldn't have done these things. His racial record and his voting record and busing, et cetera, et cetera, has been a disaster. But now he's going to do it after 50 years? I mean, it's not like he wasn't the vice president to the first African-American, as you said. I mean, he could have done prison reform, but they didn't want to. Because guess what? It's more effective to campaign on a problem than it is to actually solve it. It's much easier to keep people, you know, feeling victimized, feeling oppressed, and then campaigning, telling them about all the things you want to do. Joe Biden's had 50 years to do it. Opportunity zones, you mentioned, prison reform, First Step Act. These aren't conservative party platform issues. Yeah. There weren't a lot of Republicans pushing for this kind of legislation until Donald Trump said, no, we're going to do this, not because it's Republican dogma, but because it's the right thing to do. And he got it done. And it was a bipartisan bill. Like, all of these guys, I've, you know, for years, they talk about it. What, do they, what have they done to even start the process? What have they done to even effectuate a little bit of change? If you look at Joe Biden and his policies on race, you'd say they set us back much more than they ever moved us forward. Donald Trump is the guy that did that. So again, I, I do think it's hard to filter down and disseminate into those, you know, in, in the inner cities. You got, you know, the DNC is, they got a stronghold there. They, they, they have for decades. Um, but the party doesn't represent uh, the, same, the people the way that they used to. It's, it's changed so fundamentally. And you see, you know, Joe Biden is there as the vessel yeah. to be able to sell to middle America. It's a moderate party platform. I'm like, no, it's not. Have you read it? Like the, the Biden-Sanders joint? It's, it's not. But he's the way that the media can use to sell a middle America, that it's a moderate platform, even though it's a radical platform, which is what they want, because they really wanted Kamala always to begin with, and that's what they'll get. But they can go to middle America and do that because our media today, are, they're not journalists anymore. They're pure activists. You're of the opinion that Joe's sort of the marketing guy. This is the philosophy. Main, he's the old school Democrat. 
but that really who's driving the agenda will be the AOCs, the, the Bernie yeah. Sanders, the Elizabeth Warrens, and that he's sort of the the marketing piece for their agenda, correct? Well, here's the paraphernalia, because again, I don't think he's making decisions at all. I don't, I don't think he knows. Don't forget, Joe was pro the wall before he was against it. Joe was pro-life before he became pro-late-term abortion. You know, Joe has flip-flopped on every major decision. The reality is, I don't think Joe knows. I think he's simply the vessel. You know, they'll try to put him out there. Okay, oh, oh, you know, old-school Democrat, that's right. You're voting for that, not not the shadow government behind it. So your dad interviewed last night and uh, Laura Ingram asked him about that. And he, she said, well, then who's behind the campaign? Your dad said, uh, people you don't know, people in the shadows. Yeah. So are you, is that a George Soros uh, link? No, no, I, I, I think that? it's, I think it's people that are going to be making the major decisions in government that are not elected officials. Uh, you know, that, that are, what's that? Like, what do you mean by that? People who were not chosen uh, by the people, right? The, the, whoever wins president is chosen by the people. But if someone doesn't have the capacity to make those decisions and is able to be manipulated by others, what you know, you, you saw that throughout. Whether you know, whether it's you know some of Obama's cabinet, whether it's some of the more radical. Obviously, on Joe's website is the Bernie Sanders Joint Unity Platform. So, is it going to be Bernie's policies? pushed under a quote-unquote Biden administration because the, that's not what people are voting for. I don't think they're voting for Bernie's policies. Uh, they don't want that, but that's what's on Joe's website. I want to shift a little bit to media for a second. And I've been frustrated with that as well. It's why I wanted you on. And why, next week I'm having someone um, on that's going to represent sort of the other perspective. But I, uh, you know, I, I get that if I watch MSNBC, I kind of know going in there, this is, they have a liberal point of view. If I'm watching Rachel Maddow or, or, Bill Maher on HBO, that's a liberal, that's their point of view. I accept yep. that, great. I think when I'm watching Fox, I think we both acknowledge, I'm watching a conservative point of view. If I'm watching Sean Hannity, he's got a point of view and a perspective, and there's going to be a filter through which that information is presented, and that's Correct. wonderful. My frustration has been with what people think is the middle, like a CNN or um, some of their online yeah. news, which, which they, they're lying. And I don't mean, I don't care what side of the political perspective yeah. you're on, but they pretend to be in the middle yeah. and then completely slant things to the left in yeah. such an unfair and, and I believe disingenuous way. And that doesn't, that, I'm not tipping my hand on where I am politically. Yeah. What I'm suggesting is that's dishonest. MSNBC is honest. We're left. We like everything left. Yeah. Fox is right. Rush Limbaugh is right. Bill yeah. Maher is left. We know that. Now you're getting their perspective and their information. Wonderful. You know how they think. Maybe you agree with them. It's yeah. these places that pretend to be the middle that I feel like do the most damage. A hundred percent. I mean, you know, CNN, I don't think, I, at this point, I think that, that sort of, those cards have been played. You know, everyone went all in and they've been, their bluff has been called. I mean, I don't, I don't think that anyone's going to say that CNN is a moderate place anymore, but that's the reality. There is no moderate place. I mean, honestly, if there's one, it's sort of some of the, the never Trump faction of Fox News at least balances that out a little bit. Whereas if I watch CNN, I mean, there's still stories up about me on CNN that are literally disproven, you know, that I'll say, here are the fa here's the this. And they won't even take them down because they can't acknowledge their mistake. I was part of like the 2017 time, you know, three of the biggest bombshells of the year. Turns out they were all lies. Two of them are still up as though that wasn't the case. I mean, you still see them. I mean, I saw CNN last week peddling Russia collusion still.
They're still on that because it's their cycle is when we can't beat Trump with numbers, with facts, with results. It's it goes from Russia to racist, from Russia to racist. And it just keeps, you know, one way or the that's the answer for everything. And, and it's it's sort of asinine. I mean, I think they're honestly a couple of years ago. I think there were people I used to go on with Jake Tapper all the time. I could say, fine, I get where he probably stands. I understand his policies. I understand he's a former Democratic operative. No one's going to say he's a Republican. But I was like, he could look at something objectively. I don't know that that exists anymore. Speaking of stories, so when history writes about your dad's first four years, um, obviously a lot of what was gained during those times economically, and to your point, as of today, the stock market's at an all-time high. But the story will be a global pandemic happened during his administration. It'll be yeah. the first story. At the end of the day, the head guy's responsible. Mm -hmm. The head guy takes all the heat. Yeah. And so that's why polls tell us that things haven't gone as well for dad so far because the public feels like this was mishandled. And so, uh, or, or maybe perhaps not as handled the way that it should or could have been. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I always feel like as a leader, Don, I've made mistakes or errors. And like, I, I always think it's very redemptive when someone says, I'm sorry, or I made a mistake here, or I could have done this better. Let me acknowledge this. It's one yeah. of my frustrations is that I don't hear that from your dad. I don't, I don't know if it's in, not in his makeup. Well, you know, and and, and yeah. I'll let you talk about COVID, the, his response to it, and whether or not you think things could have been done better. Well, I, you know, I, I, you're right. And I, I see what, you know, Joe Biden, his campaign. Well, what would he have done differently? Don't forget, they had a pandemic. Luckily, it wasn't nearly as deadly. Okay. But they had swine flu. Tens of thousands of Americans had it and got it before they even moved. Right. Their own people, Joe Biden's own guy, because Joe Biden had a similar role to Mike Pence in the handling of that, literally said, man, we got lucky that this thing because we made every wrong decision at every turn. That's in the book. I go through it. So they had a total failure, but you didn't even hear about it. Now, luckily, it was not as deadly as covid. Luckily, that wasn't as deadly. And you also hear that they didn't replenish the stocks afterwards. So they didn't learn anything from it. But again, if you were Obama Biden, you were protected from any sort of scrutiny. Don't forget one month. One month after my father shut down travel from China, the Democrats were still saying it's racist and xenophobic. Now, had you had tens of thousands of more people come into this country with the virus, spreading it the way it goes exponentially, by the way, then you would have had the run on the hospitals. Then you could have actually not had the time to you know, get respirators going and to have the public partnerships to do that for PP&E and all of the other things that they got done. You know, my father goes, listen, I'm going to take heat for it, but we have to make a tough decision and shut down travel. Now, at any other point in history, it would be literally just called common sense to shut down travel from the epicenter of a deadly viral outbreak. But because Donald Trump did it, their natural response, because it's the easy button of the far left, was to scream racism. So what would Joe Biden have done differently? He hasn't articulated that. You know, would he, he said a month later, he would have kept travel open. He would have kept travel open from Europe. So more people could have gotten in here early. More people would have gotten sick early. That would have overwhelmed our system. So they can't articulate that, but the media just said, oh, it's a terrible response. They don't look to the past into you know, the Obama-Biden administration response to swine flu. And I can say, luckily, it was not as deadly. You also see a lot of sort of fear being propagated from this thing, whether it's the, you know, how many times has the CDC flip-flopped on masks? Now you saw the statistics that came out yesterday. Well, only 6% of the deaths of 150, 160,000 people, 6% directly to COVID, meaning the other people had comorbidities. I think one of the things 
I don't remember what the exact number was, so don't quote me, but it was like a pretty significant percentage, like a large percentage of those people. They were like, well, they probably would have died within the next year anyway because of the other ailments and issues that they had. They didn't even die from COVID. They died from that. And I'm saying, wait a second, we shut down the world's largest economy for something that doesn't appear to be nearly as bad as it is. That doesn't mean you can't take care of those who are more susceptible. No different than opening schools or in-person voting. You know, again, you saw last week, you saw the media reaction. There were, what, a thousand people at the White House for Donald Trump's speech. Oh my God, they're not socially distanced. But the next day when there's a march of 50,000 people not socially distanced, there's a legitimate doctor on CNN saying, well, that's different because they're marching for social justice. I was like, wait a minute. I didn't, I didn't, you know, hey, I'm no virologist. I'm not an expert, but I don't believe that a virus can differentiate, you know, your intentions when it decides who and what and where or how they're going to infect someone. Hey guys, 2020 has definitely been an interesting year. It's made us all look at our own lives, culture, society differently. You know, and obviously one of the big topics is safety and that we want everybody in society to feel safe. But really, that starts at home. We want to make sure that our own family is safe and that we can defend ourselves. And that's why I'm so fired up to have the Personal Defense Work start sponsoring the show. Guys, if you're not familiar with PDN, it has the world's largest collection of high-quality, educational, self-defense material on the Internet. And it is not even close. They have a ton of content from firearms to self-defense to home defense training. Personal Defense Network will come to your rescue, like literally. PDN is an educational community built by people just like you that provides vital, easy to understand, real world tips, techniques, and tactics to defend yourself. The PDN team has the world's best instructors and they've been delivering life-saving information to people like you and me for 15 years. I've done the homework for you. So you can just go to the personal defense network forward slash join and enter the code mylet at checkout. That's personaldefensenetwork.com slash join and then enter mylet, M-Y-L-E-T-T dot com at checkout. Your premium membership's just three bucks. Yeah, $3 for the first year. It's normally $69. You'll get it for three. You'll get access to hundreds of videos and classes. Once you become a member, I strongly recommend you start with a class called What's Better for Home Defense and the Circle Drill. These classes make you feel like you're there with the trainer, actually. And again, it's personaldefensenetwork.com slash join, and then enter mylet as the code. PDN is super cutting edge, guys. This isn't some tired old training video or something like that. They've spent many months developing content specifically for these times. And they don't just tell you what to do. They explain the whys and the hows to help you develop your skills on your own. All of their contributors are active educators. They know what they're talking about. They teach life-changing skills to military personnel, law enforcement, and people just like me and you around the world. It's really, really good stuff. Listen, guys, we all know there's good and bad in the world. And you may be the last line of defense when evil comes calling. It's never too soon to be prepared. So go to Personal Defense Network slash join. Enter the code MyLet at checkout. Because you're a listener of mine, it doesn't deal, guys. It's three bucks for the first year. And again, it's normally $69. PDN tells me this is the best deal they've ever done, and this never happens. So go to personaldefensenetwork.com slash join. Enter MyLet as the code. Check out this deal right now. Your dad strikes me as a very decisive guy, and no one's going to tell your dad um, what decision he should or shouldn't make. And in all candor, it looked to me through COVID like some of the, the, the China shutdown agreed with, the European shutdown agreed with, I think even people on the left go, hey, thank God he did that. Let's give him some credit for that, even though it's not. Well, even the doctors acknowledge it now, yes. Yeah, I think so. That's where people go. Yeah. 
this I don't even know that he was buying into half the stuff he was telling us to well, do with the mask and the other stuff. Well, and by the way, if you look at the data now, it doesn't seem, and you look at some of the data internationally, it doesn't seem like the lockdowns are all that effective. Now, I, I will say this, if it seemed like that was the case, I think it's because it, he's a conservative. He, he believes in federalism. You know, he believes in states' rights. It's why he didn't just send in the National Guard. He was sort of saying, hey, if, if you guys need the help, we're here for you. But he understands that the sort of rule. He wants to let the governors of the states, the way our Constitution was designed, make, all, make those decisions. You know, Andrew Cuomo is going to handle something differently in New York than Gavin Newsom will in California and everything like that. You know, the media says Andrew Cuomo did a good job, but, it, you know, by the numbers... He's 50 out of 50, right? But because he would attack Trump, he's boosted as though, you know, he was the grand champion of this thing. I, I don't think that's the case. Gavin Newsom in California, which a much bigger population, and he's a liberal. Uh, you know, you had Ron DeSantis as a conservative in Florida with a bigger population, a more elderly population, still had one-tenth the death rate of New York, but they're saying he failed. You know, Gavin Newsom got a lot of trouble because he said, you know what, I'll say this. You know, we, I'm in 47 lawsuits with the Trump administration, but anytime I needed anything as it related to COVID, it was there the next day. He got killed. He said it when like an interview with Mark Zuckerberg. He followed it up because he, he was like, hey, I got to call balls and strikes. You know, we're, we don't pretend to agree on much, but when I needed something here, I got it. Now, you don't hear that story. You hear sort of, you know, the, the attack piece from Cuomo because he's willing to attack Trump. So that becomes clickbait. That becomes the narrative of the day. So, you know, again, I do think there's a component of what you're saying, which I understand. But I think if people understand the overall mentality of despite what the media says, he hasn't been a dictator. He's deferred to the governors. When you have a governor from the opposite party that wants to do something differently, fine. He would have loved to have sent in, you know, the federal backup to help some of these police agencies across the country that were overrun, where they're burning down federal buildings. Uh, but hey, if, if they say no, we can't do it. That's that's not the way we are. We're, he actually functioned exactly opposite of the dictator sort of mantra that they threw at him. So he deferred to people on the ground in the states that had the data. So if a governor of a state said, no, we need this, he got it for him. If they said something else, he let them run with it. And that's sort of the way our system and the way we as conservatives believe our system is supposed to work. I don't like identity politics, the black vote, the Latino vote, the women Correct. vote. These are human beings. I agree. So I don't, well, I don't but, like that, but I, I want to say this to you. Um, I feel like Paul, you've always heard the analogy in almost every presidential election, it comes down to policies matter, but like, you know, this people like my audience want to know policy, socialism versus capitalism, small government yeah. versus big government, uh, all of these different things that we're describing. But oftentimes it comes down to, you've always heard this and who do I want to have a beer with? Yeah. And no offense to Hillary Clinton, but I think in the last election, enough people concluded, I'd probably rather have a beer with Trump, at yeah. least in the right demographics. I feel like for your dad in this election, it's, does he want to have a beer with me? And if he could the next, I get emotional when I say this, if he could the next 90 days make more people feel like, I want to be with you, yeah. with his words, with his language, and you can get through to him on this stuff. Then the other people, then I believe he has a significant chance of getting those four more years. But I think if enough people conclude he doesn't want to have a beer with me, he wants to have a beer with those guys that 
this could end up not going the right way. Does that make any sense to you what I'm saying? A hundred percent. I totally get that. And again, I think if you see him, if you see sort of, you know, his personality when it's not manipulated, sort of, you know, you've seen the media outrage when you know he's making a joke. He's doing shtick. He's a New Yorker. You know what I mean? That, that's his thing. Uh, so you see that personality, uh, you know, coming out of him and, and it certainly exists. So now, I, listen, I a hundred percent, uh, you know, get what you're saying. I, you, always easier said than done. Uh, you know, that's hard to do when you're trying to run the world, when you're trying to deal with a pandemic, when you're doing all of those things. You know, but the reality is, I think the American people see that because, again, don't forget, like, I, I get it. he's a billionaire from New York City, but man, he was able to touch middle middle America pretty well. He got what what was ailing them. He fought to to get rid of those things. He didn't. You know, Nancy Pelosi's the one during this PP&E stuff and all the craziness of the, she's the one fighting to get salt deductions reduced for guys like you and me on the coasts. You know, it costs me money. But like, when he gets a payroll tax for actual workers, she's trying to fight him on that. Like, I get the irony, and I've sort of spoken about it a lot, the irony of sort of, you know, the brash billionaire from New York being the voice of the blue collar worker of America. But when you look at what's actually happened, when you look at the policies that he's implemented, when you look at who he's fought for, it's those people. And again, that's not white America. That's everyone. That's everyone who wants to live their American dream. You combine that with the policies that we talked about that weren't conservative policies and prison reform and this. He is trying to be that guy for all Americans, not just doing you know, the partisan hackery on both sides that we've grown so accustomed to. Um, you know, because it's him and because, you know, he's, he's definitely going to be different and personality wise. That's fine. But I think when you look at the results, when you look at what's happened and you see where we are and where, we're, where we'd be better off, I think it's a no-brainer, especially when you juxtapose that to the policies now of the other side. I really appreciate your candor and uh, your openness. I think probably a lot of people listen to you and they think, well, there's probably a future for this man in this arena. Oh, boy. Well, um, I'll give you a compliment. You know, I do a lot of public speaking. And uh, I've had a, I have a favorite speaker that I saw at the DNC. You wouldn't like them, but I have a favorite speaker that I saw there. And, uh, and I, my favorite speaker the last two years at the RNC, and I'm not saying this because you're here, is you. Um, I just think you're an incredible communicator, particularly this year. Your message about making dreams come true. If you want those things to happen, they can happen in this country. And as I said earlier, I want more people to believe that that's true in this country. And so I just leave you with this. It's really not a political question. It's more only for my audience yeah. that's typically listening to me. Everyone listening to my show is pursuing some kind of a dream in their life. They want to make a dream, dream relationship, dream yeah. business. They want to become a, a millionaire and see that. What advice in general would you give to anybody out there right now that's got a dream in their heart? They're not left or right, black or white, rich or poor. They're just a human being who's got a dream in their life. What would your message be to them? Because I thought what you said at the convention was articulate. Yeah. Well, thank you. Uh, no, it's, hey, you, you just got to chase it. Go after it. Don't, don't take no for an answer. I mean, these are some of the, you know, the mentalities I learned from my father. But, you know, it, you, you ha the reality is this. You know, despite what anyone wants to say about America, I, I, don't, I don't think there's a country in the world where there's more opportunity. You know, you saw those stories last week at the RNC, you know, just people that have lived that American dream. They could only happen here. You know, you have you're so blessed uh, to be able to live in this country, to have those opportunities. But, you know, it doesn't just fall in your lap. You know, it's not sort of equality of outcome. It's equality of opportunity. You have that sense. So, you know, if you have a dream, you know, chase it, figure out what it is that you want to do and go after it, because life is way too short to be miserable in what you're doing. Thank you for today, Don. Thank you, man. Thank you. Ed. Really well, good I to wish, be with you guys. I wish, I wish nothing but safety uh, to you and your family. Um, and uh, continued prosperity and success. Thank you for today, brother.
Thank you very much, man. Appreciate it. Hey, guys. I hope you enjoyed today's program, or at least it was informative for you. And, you know, next week I'm going to be bringing you the more liberal or progressive point of view with someone that you're going to be uh, very familiar with that's very prominent on that side of the equation. I want to remind you, if you're watching this, to follow me on Instagram and participate in the max out two-minute drill every day that I run on social media on Instagram. What I do is when I make a post every day, same time, 7.30 Pacific time, Monday through Friday, for then the, have your notifications on within the first two minutes. If you make a comment, you're in a drawing every single day. And that drawing could be you win a flight on my plane, tickets to see me speak, you meet one of my guests, max out gear, copy of my book, coaching call with me, all kinds of great rewards. We do it every single week. If you miss the first two minutes, all you have to do also, there's a second way to win, just make a comment on all my posts every day at any time when you get around to it, and you increase your chances if you reply to other people's comments as well. We also are now pinning the top three comments every day so you get some exposure to the millions of people in my audience. So follow me, turn your notifications on, and I hope you win. God bless you. This is the Admiral Show.